Well, the choir is going to do a number for you this morning called Highway to Heaven. So we all get them gathered in here. <laughs> all right. It's a highway to It's a highway to heaven, walking up the king's highway. It's a highway to heaven, none can walk up there but the pure in heart. It's a highway to heaven. My load is lighter Walking up the king's highway There's joy in knowing With him I'm going Walking up the king's highway It's a highway to heaven None can walk up there but the pure in heart, it's a highway to heaven, walking up the king's highway. If you're not walking, start while I'm talking, walking up the king's highway. Christ walks beside you. Angels will guide you Walking up the King's Highway It's a highway to heaven None can walk up there But the pure in heart It's a highway to heaven Walking up the king's highway It's a highway to heaven None can walk up there But the pure in heart It's a highway to heaven Walking up the king's Walking up the king's Walking up the King's Highway. Welcome to Cross Point Baptist Church. We are grateful to be able to Meet together this morning. The choir got us off and started, getting our minds fixed on something other than ourselves. Amen? Amen. If you get stuck fixed on yourself all the time, 
Well, it's just sinful at the end of the day is what it ends up being. And we want to give our attention to him today. So thank you to the choir for um, uh, doing a song that we've heard. We've done that song many times, but the words to that song, the lyrics help us to get our minds fixed on him. So are you grateful to be here today? It's a good day. It, the weather's great. That's one thing that always uh, gets me uh, up in the morning, gets me going. But it's Sunday. It's a resurrection Sunday, a day when we can get our minds fixed on, on, on hope, goodness, life, resurrection into life. It's just a good day for, to meet in God's house. Hopefully you have a worship folder. Again, we have a lot of activities going on, a lot of ministries, I should say. And uh, in the worship folder is the information that you'll need. But I did want to take a moment by way of uh, a welcoming you. You'll notice that uh, BQ kids are in here as well. We want to take a moment and again explain what we're doing on November 26th. Now that's going to be here before you know it. It is our annual Thanksgiving banquet. And... Uh, at our banquet, we have had, last year, we had our highest number at 247 people in this room being served up a Thanksgiving meal. And um, I've been told by you that you, this has been, you've had a better meal here than what you've paid for at restaurants at Thanksgiving time. And uh, that is a testament to the hands that uh, prepare and, and serve the food here as well. But that night, we're doing something a little bit different. We want to show an, a genuine gratitude and have a thankful heart as unto the Lord. But, you know, he's sovereignly placed people in our lives that help us to grow, help us to learn, um, teach us how to love by loving on us. That night, we want to have a teacher appreciation night as well. So if... Uh, you have, have had a teacher that has impacted you, uh, not just your favorite teacher. Sometimes I, I was thinking back on this. My favorite teacher wasn't the one who taught me the most. It was actually the one who let me get by with the most. <laughs> but the teacher that has impacted me the most by way of, uh, of, of showing a care and interest and teaching me information, well, that was a whole different teacher. Well, obviously in this room and in this life, we have people that do that for us. We have parents, we have aunts, uncles, and, and, and pastors, and you have teachers, uh, Sunday school teachers. By the way, this spring, we're going to have a Sunday school teacher appreciation Sunday, where we appreciate those past, present uh, uh, Sunday school teachers in our lives. But on November 26th, we want to honor the teachers that have impacted your life. Now, this isn't only for the BQ kids. This is for every person within earshot of Cross Point Baptist Church tonight, whether uh, of your age. Uh, we joked about this, actually, uh, with Jewel. It's good to see Jewel here today. He came in this morning barking out orders. It's good to have him here. I noticed uh, when he got here, Larry, you got out of your seat real fast. He jumped right up. Uh, Jewel and I was teasing about teacher appreciation. Jewel said, well, I'm 90. My teacher would be 130 or something. I don't know how that worked. But uh, you most likely have had a teacher that has impacted your life, 
Now, I really want you as a member of Cross Point Baptist Church to think and do this. Do this. It's good and it's right. So in this envelope right here, if you have a teacher in mind right now, you have had a teacher that has come to your mind, most likely. If not, I want you to think long and hard, but think fast because we want this information turned back in as quick as we can. We would invite you to take one of these packets right here to that teacher. Now, if they're obviously, if you're an adult and they're already not teaching any longer, you can mail it to them or track it down and hand it to them. But we would ask you to um, get this information in your te favorite teacher's or most impactful teacher's hand. And inside of this envelope is three items of paper. One is this. It's a cover letter. It says, hello, friend. We at Cross Point Baptist Church are excited to recognize you as a teacher who has an influence in our community and with students. You and a guest are invited to join uh, us on November 26th for our annual Thanksgiving banquet. The time is from 6.30 to 8.30. This will be a time of Thanksgiving and celebration for teachers, active or retired, to be honored for their dedication as a teacher. Our goal for you is to enjoy an evening of good food and fellowship as our congregation demonstrates our appreciation to teachers for all the great work you've done. Again, we will be honored if you would join us on November 26th at 6.30 at Cross Point Baptist Church. Please reply with the enclosed confirmation card by November 2nd to reserve your seat. So that is a cover letter. We're asking you, student, regardless of your age, to fill this out. All you have to do is right here is where it says invited by. So, Spencer, you have your teacher in mind? Yeah. So, you would write, you are invited by Spencer Bovey. And when they get this, they know who invited them. But also, and that has the information as well, here is the card that we're asking them to re reply by. Kindly respond by November 2nd. That's just in a couple weeks is all it is. So, you have to get to work. Not them. You have to get to work. And we also have a self address stamped envelope. Now, please do not take one of these packets to steal the stamp and use it on a bill or something, okay? It's not the goal, what we're after. That was my big concern about this group. But we highly encourage, we cannot emphasize enough what we're trying to accomplish. We've had people in our lives that the Lord has placed in our lives, unbeknownst to us, teachers. I can remember in second grade at a public school, I had a teacher by the name of Mrs. Cross. And um, back in that day, um, the Bible was not being toted around as much as it once was. And uh, this would have been in the, what, early, mid-70s. And she would start every day with reading a scripture. And I didn't know the kind of impact that would have on me. I, in fact, I... You know, I'm in second grade. I don't think. You don't think when you're in second grade. <laughs> but here I am years later thinking about the impact of this teacher, just reading that scripture, and, uh, and her name, Mrs. Cross, just stands, stuck out, stood out to me as well. So as uh, I'm, I'm not you, challenging you, I'm telling you, grab this. This is a tangible way to show appreciation. The Bible tells us to be thanks in all things, amen? amen? Even in teachers. So this is a tangible way for us to show that gratitude. 
and to help facilitate what, what we're trying to accomplish today. I've, we have several teachers in our church, active teachers right now. Brandon Jones is one. Brittany Fryman is another. We have Nicole Jones and, of course, Pastor Rick. I've asked uh, Brittany Fryman if she would this morning come up and share a teacher's perspective and the importance of teaching in a Christian environment. She's a teacher at uh, Brown County Christian Academy. Next week, Brandon will be sharing a different element about being a teacher. And then that night of the 26th, Pastor Rick will be sharing, um, well, I don't want to give away too much away, but the philosophy of being a teacher as well. So I uh, have asked Brittany if she would um, share, because being teaching in a Christian environment, Christian school, share from her perspective uh, this teacher's um, appreciation day, more or less being a teacher. Pastor Scott asked me to talk about why Christian education is important. When he first asked me, I got to go first because I was the one that's like, sure, do it, no problem. I'm excited. Um, I even scared him a little bit because I texted him saying, how long can you give me? Um, he said, only five minutes, don't worry. My pot roast will still be good by the time I'm done. Um, I feel very strongly about this topic and uh, I tended to make this logical um, three points in a prayer. This is why everyone should do it. Um, kind of dissertation on the history of education. Um, but I decided just to share my story instead and what it's done for our family and what we feel is right for our family. I grew up in a Christian home. Um, we went to church two or three times a week, helped at VBS. We prayed before all of our meals. Um, and I also grew up in a public school, as did my husband, Eric. I made friends, got good grades, you know, planned what I wanted for the future, went to football games, the whole thing. Well, I didn't watch football, football games, but I went to football games. Um, my first year of Christian college, I realized that there were no such thing as cavemen, and that sounds kind of silly, um, but I never had realized, I don't remember being taught that there were cavemen, I remember seeing them in cartoons and that kind of thing, but it, I never stopped to realize that the evidence of this drooling Neanderthal went completely against what I know about the creator of the universe, made man in his image. And it didn't occur to me that I had learned that from somewhere. But until I was a Christian college, 18 to 21, I didn't realize what I had been taught and what I had been getting. I just kind of told it as a story like, haha, I used to think there was cavemen. I have a lot of blonde moment stories that I tell about myself, and uh, that was just one of them. Um, after I graduated from college, I started teaching in a Christian school, um, married Eric, we had our children, um, and I decided to stay home with my children for a little while. Eric and I bought a house, we had Ben. A couple years later, our boys started public school. I was the room mom, and I made cute little snacks, and I was there for the parties, and I you know, helped file papers and all of that, and was as involved as I could be. Um, so there was never any moment when I said, Christian education is garbage, you need to throw it out. There was never any moment, a turning point like that for us. Um, Christian or Public education is a mission field, and we need Christians in it, just like we need Christians in every mission field that there is. Um, thanks to God's grace, good Christians have come out of it. Um, I'm not saying that everyone should homeschool either. 
I would love to homeschool, but then my children would have to make change on their toes. So homeschooling is not for me. Math is not my, my area. Um, but for us, it was just started that it was time for me to go back to work, wanted to make some grocery money and some fun money, and I wanted to be with my boys. That's where it started. That's where our Christian education, even though I'd taught in Christian schools before, it had never been life-changing. I'd never seen the difference until I had children, until I realized what an important responsibility that I had as a parent to educate my children the way that God wanted me to, to bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, to raise them up as they should go. That was my job. That was our job as parents. And what I wanted... It wasn't about making money or having a place where I had coworkers that I didn't have to worry about them um, telling off color stories or, you know, deal with that kind of thing as a coworker or just eating kids lunch with my kids every day. But it was about the place that can help me fulfill my responsibility as a parent and to do it in the way that I want it to be done or what God wants it to be done, more importantly. When I went to public school, I tried to raise them up like I should. Um, I only saw them a couple of hours a day, before school, after school. It's not a lot of time. Get them to bed at 9. You know, you get about six hours or so a day, and then they have the rest of the day at school, and they're learning things. And any time you have a teacher, they're teaching from a worldview, how they feel. If you're teaching about how the world was created and you don't believe that God created the world, that's going to come out, even if you're presenting it. Even if, I even if my children told me everything that they learned in school that day, if they remembered. Will doesn't talk much, so he wouldn't have told me anything. Ben would try to tell me everything, but he would forget half of it. So even if they did, it, was, it would be hours for me combating, and there would be things that were being taught that they didn't realize that they were being taught, that they wouldn't understand or they wouldn't see it. Um, I took them to church and told them that God created them. But they would come home and said, aren't we lucky to be alive that there's only one in three million chance that my cell was fertilized so that I could become a human? That's not right. That's something little that we don't think about. Oh, one in three million. You're not lucky. God made you. God wanted you to be here. God gave you to me as your parent. Um, I can tell them that God says we're to call sin what calls sin. But then they see homosexuality and abortion as a reasonable alternative, an acceptable thing that you could do. Um, and if you say anything otherwise, that's bullying, and that's hatred. And we are, to be, we are to be Christians, we are to be love people, and we are to show who we are by love, and that's true. But we're also not to say, oh, that's okay. But that's what my kids are seeing every day. Um, I sent my kids to a Christian school because it supports my goals, because I know that every day they are being taught that everything revolves around God. They are taught in a way that everything's connected. Because God created the universe, we can talk about science. We can talk about history. There's an order to our language. I teach grammar, so I'm big on that one. Um, I know that my, my coworkers and my administrators are Christians, and they're actively trying to train my child. They're actively trying to raise them up in the way they should go, like I said, and being trained for a good fight and not in the camp of an enemy. There are bad Christian schools. There are schools where you put Christian in front of the name and they have one Bible class and that's it. So I'm not saying that this is the, the fix for everybody. And I'm not saying that every Christian school is the same. I am saying that we are making this choice for our family to say, this is what I want. If I'm going to have my kid hear something eight hours a day, I want it to be how God is number one and how that should be our whole life. Um, I know as a teacher, I can tell a kid that's struggling, hey, God is a big God. He can help you do the hard things. He can help you forgive. He can help you remember your homework, which for my middle schoolers is a big deal. Um, 
we can discuss different philosophies, I can say, yes, Big Bang Theory is this. Yes, this is a way that they say that you evolved over time. But what does God say? And we hold it up to the truth of the scripture. And I can do that as a teacher because I'm in a Christian school. I can talk about not only how to be a good friend or fill each other's buckets, but why? Why should I try to be a good friend? Why should I care about anybody else? Because that's what God made us for. He made us to be the hands and feet of God. Not because it looks good on a college application, but because that's why were we created. We were created to glorify him. And I get that. And I can talk about that every day. And I can bring that in the whole totality of what I'm teaching because it's all related. I'm not the perfect teacher and my students are not perfect and my children as adorable as they are are definitely not perfect. Um, But we're learning every day to put God first and our Christian school is helping us. And that's why I think Christian education is so important. So that is, again, we're trying to cover all the bases here that at Brown County Christian Academy, I actually was asked, uh, I'll be up there in December um, uh, preaching at a chapel. So uh, that was one of our teachers sharing that perspective. Next week, Brandon will be sharing teaching in a public school. And what's the point here? We need to appreciate our teachers. They're investing in, in our church now, but also our church of tomorrow. So you know the rest of the cliches, don't we? Hopefully that encourages you to, after church to come up. I think Betty and Roger, or at least Betty, will be there to get one of these um, teacher appreciation. One last statement is, you may think, well, my, I, they're, they're, they're states away. They're not going to be able to come. Maybe sometimes it's just an honor to be asked. It's just an honor to be thought of sometimes. I've already heard stories of teachers that have been overwhelmed with the thought that we're doing this and they've, that you actually thought of me. And um, it's just an encouraging moment. Let's bow for prayer. Ask the Lord to do a work in our heart as the praise team comes to prepare us for um, worship. Lord, we are grateful to be in your house today. We want to put you first and foremost in our life. We don't have all the answers. We don't even know all the questions. But, Lord, as you teach and, and, and guide us, I pray that we have confidence in knowing who you are because we know you. So bless your word today, the singing today. We want it to be well-pleasing to you, not the sound of it, but the heart of it. Whether it be singing or, 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 or really studying the word today, as Pastor Roger preaches, I pray that lives would be changed and impacted. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you, Jesus Christ. Thank you, God, our Father. It's in his name I pray. Amen. Good morning. As we start, our, we're going to just sing two songs this morning and to be responsible with our time. But before we sing, I have you stand and sing. I wanted to read a verse to you out of Psalm 27, verse 4. I came across it last night as I was uh, doing my devotions, and it really spoke to me, the heart of this verse. So Psalm 27, verse 4 says, I have asked the Lord for one thing. This is what I desire. I want to live in the Lord's house all the days of my life 
so I can gaze at the splendor of the Lord and contemplate in his temple. And that one verse, it stood out to me because a lot of the psalms surrounding this had talked about David crying out to the Lord for vengeance, for protection, how God was a stronghold. And yet, amidst all the things going on in his life, much like our lives, we have things going on that come to us constantly, distracting us from our, what should be our true focus in the Lord. But his ultimate desire, it wasn't for protection, <clears throat> it wasn't for prosperity, but it was to dwell in God's house. And why? So that he could contemplate who he is and observe his splendor. And this morning, I wonder, as we come to worship God, have we come here because it's part of a routine? Are we about to sing because that's just what we do at this time? Or are we truly here because we want to see God's splendor? We want to see God working in all of our lives individually, but as we come together corporately, in this time that we get to spend here singing the next two songs, it's our chance to redirect our hearts to him, to focus our minds on who he is, and to... um, Just focus on the splendor of our God. So if you would stand with me, we're going to sing, uh, Come Now is the Time to Worship.
Father, Lord, this time as we prepare to hear your word spoken to us, God, I pray that our heart's cry is not only that we're here to worship you, but we are here to be led to the foot of the cross, Lord, that where your son died for us, God, that is where life begins, at the foot of the cross. God, I pray that you would prepare our hearts and minds for your word and that we would honor you with our attentiveness and, God, that we would be changed because we have not just come here out of habit, but we have truly met with the risen King. In your name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. How are you this morning? Glad to uh, be able to speak this morning and, and, uh, and just enjoy God's Word and, and the study that I've had a chance to do this week. And, and so uh, I'm praying that this morning as we uh, dig into God's Word that it would be meaningful to you and that uh, as we apply it to our own hearts that it might be uh, a time when we might be able to encounter the Lord today. And that is uh, my, the title of my message this morning, Encountering the Savior. And so when we look at uh, John chapter 20, and I'm going to be talking about uh, Thomas and the disciples in that passage of Scripture. We'll read that in a moment. Uh, we think of it being the, the resurrection day, and it is. And, uh, but this isn't necessarily a resurrection message, although... It is, right, as we uh, celebrate the Savior's resurrection every Sunday. And so uh, Pastor Scott is, is over in Bible Quest. He's going to spend the day over there with the children and, and, uh, and share uh, his thoughts over there and, and God's Word over there. So uh, I get the opportunity to share uh, God's Word here this morning. So when we think about uh, Thomas and uh, the resurrection, and, and you know the story generally, we'll cover it pretty deeply uh, this morning, that, uh, of course, he doubted and, and hadn't, uh, hadn't been meeting with the disciples at, at that previous meeting. So uh, we're going to look at all of that and understand that uh, what Thomas missed out on in that encounter and, and maybe what we miss out on sometimes when we're not looking for an encounter with the Lord. So... Uh, that moment that he missed the opportunity, and we'll dig into all this, was a missed opportunity for him. And so you're here this morning, and I'm counting on you listening and, and applying God's Word because it's an encounter for you and me as well. And so when we think about uh, uh, meeting the Lord, you can do that anywhere, but what better place than right here on the first day of the week on Sunday morning? And that's what we're going to be looking at today. Perhaps we've experienced uh, that uh, special time of when we came to know the Savior. And uh, so when we, when we think about Thomas, he had doubted and, and all of those uh, things that, that we're going to read about. But when he found the Lord, he was so excited. He cried out, my Lord and my God. And we'll, we'll cover that. But maybe you've never had that experience today. This message might be for you. Maybe you 
need an encounter to meet the Lord this morning. Uh, in my recent studies, we've, uh, we've been talking about in our classroom the, uh, uh, the love that Jesus had for, uh, for his people, us, you and I. And, and he taught how the disciples should love one another and will be known uh, as a disciple if we show our love one to another. And so when we think of this message today, we need to understand that, that, uh, that Jesus is sharing that love with the disciples. And Thomas, who, who may uh, by all accounts have been rebuked, but I think he's doing it in a manner of love and concern uh, for one of his own. And so this passage of, about Thomas's encounter shows his compassion and his love as he appears to the disciples and others on his resurrection day, and then also about Thomas uh, just a week later. So it's about an encounter with the Savior, and you're here today for a similar type encounter. Maybe it's to be drawn closer to your Lord, but maybe it's to come to know Him as your Lord. Turn to your Bibles to uh, John chapter 20, verses 19 through 31, will be our, our uh, text for this morning. And... Uh, and as we read that, I'm going to read through the entire passage uh, so that we can cover that well, and then we'll dig in. It says in John chapter 20, verse 24, I'm sorry, in verse 19, it says, Then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled, for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in the midst and said to them, Peace be to you. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side, and then the disciples were glad when they had saw the Lord. So Jesus said to them again, Peace to you, as the Father hath sent me, I also send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. And if you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. And if you retain the sins of any, they are retained. Now Thomas, called the twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. The other disciples therefore said to him, We have seen the Lord. So he said to them, Unless I see his hands and the print of the nails and put my finger into the print of the nails and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. And after eight days his disciples were again inside and Thomas with them. Jesus came the doors being shut, and he stood in the midst and said, Peace to you. And then he said to Thomas, Reach your finger here, look at my hands, and reach your hand here, and put it into my side. Do not be unbelieving, but believing. And Thomas answered and said to him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. And truly, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus Christ is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this passage of Scripture, Lord, the, the encounter that you had with uh, your disciples at that time. Lord, we pray that each one of us today might take to heart your words and your uh, presence here, Lord, that you might have an encounter with even someone in this room today. Lord, we pray that you just uh, be with each one of us. May we 
seek to honor you in all that we do this morning. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So as we talk about this encounter with the Savior, the main uh, thrust of the entire passage is this. It's the infallible proof of Christ's resurrection and showing himself alive. What a great uh, thing to see, Jesus Christ alive. And uh, we ought to be excited about that because we serve a risen Savior. All right, not, not one that we could go to the tomb and see their bodies there or know that they were in that tomb. We serve a risen Savior. And we all need to recognize that. Uh, hold your place there in John chapter 20 and just keep your thumb in there always. But I'm just going to read a passage, Acts 1-3. It says, to, him, to whom he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many infallible proofs, being seen by them during 40 days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. What a great verse to say that he presented himself alive. Many infallible proofs, all those things that he had done through 40 days. And at the end of that passage we read in John 20, it says the things that he did we couldn't contain in this writing. So there was many, many things that he did to prove himself of who he was and that he was the risen Savior. So uh, this is an encounter that every one of us needs. Uh, in this passage in John, we have the account of his first appearance to the group of disciples. There were 10 disciples present. Uh, during that time, Judas, of course, had betrayed the Lord and left, and he was uh, not around, and Thomas was not with them. What happened to Thomas? He skipped church Sunday night. All right, that's my only, uh, only dig there. I'm not going to be uh, judging anyone, whether they're here or not. That's between you and the Lord. But, but you know, I can just say this in honesty that when we're not in the presence of the Lord and in his house when, with other believers, that we do miss an opportunity to have an encounter with the Lord. You say, ah, it's just a Sunday night, just a Wednesday night, just see what Thomas missed out on here. All right, uh, just, just uh, look back in verse 18 of our, our text there. I want to cover this. Mary Magdalene came and told the disciples that she had seen the Lord and that he had spoken these things to her. Jesus coming to the presence of the disciples was important. He, he passed the word on to uh, Mary Magdalene and, and said that she had, you know, she had encountered the risen Savior and to go tell the disciples. And, uh, you know, he could have left it at that. He could have said, well, my word is, is sufficient, and it is. But he wanted to do more than that. He wanted to present himself so that the disciples would have an eyewitness account of, of Jesus as the risen Savior. He also talked to two, uh, two followers on the way to the road to uh, Emmaus and uh, shared with them uh, and then revealed himself to them. And they, they believed that, that he had risen and they seen, had seen that. So um, now he's here in the, uh, uh, the room and he, he's going to enter in and we'll, we'll see some things. Uh, but he did this to show his love uh, and to confirm to them their faith in him. They had gathered, hoping, and, and uh, we, we'll talk about maybe what they even had on their minds during that time. Some trepidation, I'm sure, some fear, some, some things that uh, they uh, were um, 
concerned about. But he comes in and shares the very simple phrase, peace to you. And so we have that as a testimony. And, and uh, the fact that he had risen and shown himself, that was going to enable the, the disciples, the, the 12, uh, when Ma uh, Matthew's added and, and all of that. But, but as we understand that, uh, a, a living eyewitness account of the testimony of a risen Savior was going to give them the uh, desire and the charge to go out and carry out his mission that he's going to declare to these uh, disciples. So let's take a look at this um, uh, verse by verse here as we go. There's many things that we'll observe. First of all, obviously, it's the first day of the week. It's the resurrection day. It's the evening uh, that the Lord himself rose from the dead. The disciples were assembled in verse 19. They came at evening, being the first day of the week. And the doors were shut. The disciples were assembled there. And so what could have been going on in their minds? And, and we don't know. But we could assume some things. They may have been sad because Jesus' crucifixion and, and uh, of course, by all accounts, he had died, right? And so they were no doubt sad for that fact. They may have been excited on the opposite end because they'd heard the Lord had risen. And so maybe they were excited about that. It uh, clearly states they were fearful of the Jews because, of course, the Jews had... Um, you know, plotted to say that the disciples had stolen the body and, and all of those things, and we understand that. Uh, they were probably uh, very fear, fearful of that, and they stayed in the room with a shut door and, and uh, because of that. Maybe they were uh, concerned whether they really had true evidence or enough evidence to prove the risen Savior. They hadn't seen him yet, and so maybe the, uh, the very fact of, of this uh, encounter with the Lord will give them that um, confidence, right? In Psalm 27, it's interesting, Andrew picked out a uh, passage from his Bible study. I had done a Bible study um, personally last couple days ago, and, and also in Psalm 27, and uh, I had used this verse uh, as my key, wait on the Lord, verse 14, wait on the Lord, be of good courage, and he shall strengthen your heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. You know, all the, the, the emotions that we might go through in our lives, you come here with thoughts and things and, and issues on your minds, wait on the Lord. He's going to reveal himself to us, and we can wait on the Lord. And that's what the disciples had to do in that room. They waited. So the meeting was private, verse 19 again. The door was shut. They feared the Jews, and they suspected the, the claim of the... Uh, uh, the body was stolen by the disciples and all of that. Um, we ought to take comfort. We ought to take comfort in this, that even when we shut the doors in our lives and uh, for fear of things around us and the issues that we might be facing, we can't keep the Lord out of our lives. If you know him, his presence is always there through the Holy Spirit. So remember that. The disciples shut the door and they were, they were locked in, so to speak, but... But the Lord is never away from you as a believer and the presence uh, in our lives. So the second thing we want to see is a close encounter of the best kind. So I'm using that, that uh, phraseology about that uh, close encounters. And a close encounter of the best kind is the appearance of Christ. Let's look at that, verses 19 through 23. 
uh, and see what the Lord had done in the meeting. For there was, there's five things that we can pick from here. Number one is the greeting to the disciples. Verse 19, he says, peace be with you. Now, that was a common greeting to say, peace be with you, and uh, to, uh, to share that when you came into the room. It's, it's almost like us saying, hello, how are you? And he said, peace uh, be with you. Uh, the, the peace of God, uh, this, this peace that he's talking about, is, is more than just a, a shallow greeting. He goes much deeper than that, and it, and it cuts very, very much to our, to our conscience and to who we are when he says, peace be to you and to those disciples. The first thing is it was peace with God. Jesus says, I'm here. I'm here. Peace be to you. Have confidence. Have peace in that. You can trust God with your very soul because I'm here. I had victory over the grave. I'm risen and over death. The other thing, uh, another thing that we can see is that that peace uh, is a peace over our own conscience. Uh, no longer fear of uncertainty. What, what's going on in my life around me? Well, you want an anchor? You want, a, you want a, somebody that you can count on? You can count on the Lord. You can count on the Lord. He's always there, and he offers that peace. Um, you know, he's, he's there if we if we have problems or sins in our lives. He's there to take those away. First uh, John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, listen to this, He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He is, is there. He can take away the uncertainty in our lives. The next thing is that we can have peace with one another. He says, peace be to you. And he's talking to those disciples. You don't have to look at each other and, and wonder what's going on. Am I going to be separated from the group? Or, or He says, peace be to you. You can have unity with one another and uh, that peace. And then, he, of course, it's a, a reference to the, the peace that only Jesus can give. In uh, Philippians 4, 7, it says, And the peace of God, which surpasses understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Jesus Christ, all right? He is uh, our peace, not like the world gives us, but we have that peace um, that he has and, and that abides in our hearts. Don't think that when Jesus appeared to them in their assembly that they were full of fears, or don't you think that, that, that they were full of fears during that time frame and some consternation and, and all of that, and as he appeared, just like Jesus calmed the waves of the storm when he said, peace, be still. Don't you think he calmed those disciples when he said, peace with you, be with you? That's the kind of peace that Jesus is talking about there. The second thing in this encounter, the appearance of Christ is, the first one is the greeting of peace. The second thing is his clear and undeniable presence with the disciples. The method he took to convince them of his resurrection and the truth of that, they now saw him alive. There was no more um, uh, gossip. There was no more uh, concern of whispering of what, what all really transpired, um, where Jesus is at, all those things. The method was to reveal himself directly to them, which he did. The multitude saw him uh, dead just a couple of days ago, right? 
and as he was crucified. And now they had that, that fear and, and, uh, and concern about what, what the situation was, but he reveals himself directly as an eyewitness uh, account that all of them can have so that when they go out preaching as a, uh, an apostle, that they can share the gospel and uh, they don't have to worry about whether what they're saying is true. They had eyewitness account of the Lord, uh, the risen Savior. Uh, now, it's important for us to know, it's important for us to know that, that uh, Jesus is risen bodily. So it's one thing to say, well, his spirit's risen. And, and then if they saw Jesus um, as a spirit, that, that's not the, the, the gospel message of, of truth that we know of and that we preach. The, the bodily resurrection is critical to the, to the fact of his uh, resurrection in the gospel message. Because, uh, uh, first of all, he had victory over death and he raised bodily from the grave. The second thing is it's a, it's a picture of how we are going to be raised bodily at that time when the Lord comes back or at his, his return and we're going to be raised bodily too. And so we have that hope because Jesus was the first fruits of that. So um, it's important. Uh, so what better proof to prove that he is bodily resurrected than to show him his very wounds uh, that he had? Right? He didn't have to just tell him, well, you know, I did this and I, I raised uh, from the dead. He says, here, see my hands and see my side. What a, what a uh, dramatic um, revelation to those, to those uh, men that, that were in that room. It's a picture of what we get to benefit from. They saw Jesus bodily resurrected with no more pain, no more uh, um, soreness in those uh, wounds that he had. He was the conqueror showing his battle scars after victory. The disciples heard his voice. They recognized maybe his mannerisms. All those things could have maybe been proof, but Jesus wanted it to be unequivocal that he had risen from the dead bodily and he showed them his hands and his side. And so we can count on that. What impression, what impression does that make when we are introduced to the Savior? and we see the Savior, and we recognize Him and, and know Him. First of all, they were convinced. They saw the Lord. It says in, in verse number 20, When He had said this, He showed them His hands and His side, and then the disciples were glad that they saw the Lord. They were glad. They were convinced that this is the Jesus, the Christ, the risen Savior. It's Him. So their faith was confirmed. Their faith was confirmed. Secondly, they were glad. Oh, they were just, just happy. No, it says then, when they had seen Jesus, then they were glad. They were excited to see the risen Savior. They were um, overjoyed, if you will. They were glad. All right, the third of these five things is that the commission that he gave them, these disciples were to become the apostles and uh, to go out and uh, share the gospel and be uh, 
beyond Christ, the, who's the chief cornerstone, they're going to be the foundation of our Christian uh, family and faith. So in verse 21, he says, So Jesus said to them again, Peace to you, as the Father has sent me, I also send you. He says, Peace to you again, and perhaps that's to get their attention. Say, I told you peace before, but hey, peace. You know, maybe he's getting their attention again. But maybe he's to reassure them of the task that's coming ahead. Hey, I told you peace. Have assurance that I am who I say I am. Now, in my commission to you, what I want you to do, you have peace in that mission. And perhaps that's also what he wanted to convey there. He says, as the Father has sent me, I also send you their powers weren't going to be in the same comparison of the Lord's, right? Uh, he's all-powerful, and man is not, of course. But their work was the same, is to go out and to reach the gospel, uh, reach the people with the gospel message of Jesus Christ. And they were to bear witness of the truth. So they were able to go out with peace and assurance of what God was going to do and, and be with them in this situation. So the fourth thing is the qualifying them of their, uh, uh, for their assigned duties. So he says, uh, as the Father sends me, so send I you. And uh, he then says this uh, in verse 22, um, and then when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. And so when we think about this, it's a sign of life. This breath is a sign of life, just as he did in creation, and he breathed life into Adam, and he became a living soul. So we see uh, this uh, image of him breathing on them as a sign of life. Hey, you can have confidence in me. I am with you always, even unto the end of the age. Uh, you know, I'm sure that uh, message is conveyed in there. And uh, they had a great task to accomplish, and they... And this was to prove that they would have the power of the Holy Spirit um, to accomplish this, this fantastic task that was before them. And then at the end of that verse uh, 22, he says, receive the Holy Spirit. Now, of course, we know at the day of Pentecost, uh, the Holy Spirit came upon them in the upper room. Okay, 120 were there and, and all of that. Uh, and that the Spirit then indwelled the believer. Here he's promising that same thing, that the Spirit is going to come in just a short while. In a little while, uh, he will come. And he gives them this assurance in several ways here. Assurance of the Holy Spirit's aid in their mission. They've got a big task. They're going to go out and turn the world upside down. And you could say after a, a while, uh, you know, so many, so many days they turned upside down Jerusalem and, and Judea and and after a period of time, 18 years perhaps, uh, I've read that they turned the world upside down for Jesus Christ. That was the foundation, them as believers uh, doing that, uh, of course, through the, the Holy Spirit, right? So with the Spirit, the promise of the Spirit, they were to have courage, they were to increase their faith, and they were to live out their lives in Christ's footsteps. As the Father has sent me, I'm sending you. And so they were to follow him in his footsteps. 
Now look down in verse 23. This is the fifth one, and this, this causes some uh, concern uh, in some people if you just read on the face of it. It says, If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. And if you retain the sins of any, they are retained. And so Jesus is not handing over his ability to uh, the disciples to forgive sin. That's not what he's saying here. He's, he's saying that you have the ability to recognize or discern those who, repent, who are repentant of their sin. And we can think of a, a couple of examples. Think of uh, what Peter did to Ananias and Sapphira when they lied to the Holy Ghost. They were unrepentant. They, weren't, uh, they were uh, for their own show. And because of that, the Holy Spirit came and struck them dead. And, and Peter called them out. Paul also struck Elmas, uh, uh, Elimus blind. And uh, so they did not have the power to forgive sin, but they had uh, the power to discern who was truly repentant uh, of their sin. And, uh, you know, the, that's for the Lord only to forgive, right? It's in the power of the Lord. All right, so as we move forward, then the third thing is a missed, a missed encounter with the Savior. A missed encounter with the Savior. Look in verses 24 and 25. It says, Now Thomas called the twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came, referring to this first visit. And the other disciples therefore said to him, We have seen the Lord. So he, who, uh, he said to them, Unless I see in his hands and the prints of his nails, and put my finger into the print of the nails, and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. Thomas um, is going to have an encounter with the Lord coming up. But look at what he missed when he missed the encounter the first time. Most of all, he missed seeing the Lord as an eyewitness as the others had already experienced. They saw the Lord. He missed out on that opportunity. How many times do we overlook the chance to have a relationship and build our, our faith and our fellowship with the Lord because we're not ready for the encounter. Because he was there, he didn't have any insurance of the risen Savior. No assurance because he says, he told him, he says, unless I see his, his uh, nail prints and can put my hand in his side, I'm not going to believe. He didn't have any assurance of the risen Savior. He didn't have any unity with the disciples because they had already believed, and yet he's on the outside, so to speak, not believing. They may have, he may have thought, well, somebody's just fooled you, and uh, he didn't really show himself to you. That was some trick or something, somebody uh, playing some game on you. Because he was not there, he had an attitude, right? He had an attitude, uh, a lack of trust. He didn't believe the other disciples, of course. They even said, we have seen the Lord, and they, they didn't believe him. He didn't believe them. No doubt, um, when he said, uh, we have seen the Lord, the disciples probably said, and we saw his nail prints and his hand, you know, uh, his uh, wound in his side and, and all of that. And Peter says, I'm not believing you. So he had a, a pretty uh, obstinate attitude and viewpoint that um, unless I see it for myself, I'm not going to believe. He was alone. He was alone. When he was not with them, he was alone, perhaps, and uh, missed the opportunity to get encouragement from the Lord, of course, and then, of course, the other disciples. 
He became obstinate in his viewpoint. I want this, and I'm not going to believe otherwise. What a terrible attitude to have when the Lord reveals himself, and yet we have our own mission and our own idea of what's best. Jesus was there to, to reveal himself. Let all the disciples see and investigate Jesus and who he was. He wasn't hiding anything, and yet Thomas wasn't there, so he missed that encounter. Wouldn't he have been much better off to be with the uh, disciples during that time? Just a, a thought from a verse uh, that we can look back on. Proverbs chapter 11, verse 14 says, Where there is no counsel, the people fail, but in the multitude of counselors there is safety. And I put that verse, it came to my mind in the idea that, uh, you know, we, we use it in a count, uh, counseling sessions maybe, and, and you know, what's, what's right and wrong, but you know, in the multitude of people of like faith around me, I have much more confidence and security in who I am because I'm in Christ, like they are, like you are. I'm here with you, You're my fellow family, and I can have confidence uh, in the multitude of counselors, their safety and security. As believers, listen to this, as believers, we carelessly miss an encounter with our Lord, and you don't know what that experience was that you missed. You miss out. Thomas was unaware of what was going on. We've seen the Lord on that next week as, as they approach and come together. We've seen the Lord, and yet he was not willing to, to believe. All right, so number four, let's look at the encounter, the magnificent encounter with the Savior, verses 26 through 29. It should be noted here that the Savior again meets with them on the first day of the week. Jesus probably appointed the time when they were meeting the last time. All right, next Sunday we're going to meet right here again, and uh, you be here. And they probably had that meeting set up. And it was a pattern. Jesus is establishing a pattern of worship on the first day of the week. He rose on the first day of the week. It started there, and as uh, the weeks went by, probably no doubt they continued those meetings um, on the uh, first day of the week throughout his 40 days until he was risen uh, and went back to, uh, to heaven. So it was, a, it was a pattern that Jesus established, and it's carried on to today. And so we're celebrating his resurrection even today as we're here this morning to, to celebrate and to uh, worship him. Notice a couple things here. Jesus didn't try to meet with Thomas in the, the days in between. That wasn't God's plan. That wasn't Jesus' plan was to meet and go say, Hey, Thomas, you really missed out uh, last Sunday. That's not what his intent was. It was to uh, wait until that Sunday, that next Sunday, and, and see the uh, doubting Thomas, if you will. So let's see what Thomas encountered when he met the Lord that day. Uh, first of all, we see Christ's grace to Thomas. He could have, and, and many of the commentators and, and people that I've read about this say it was definitely a rebuke, and yeah, it probably was a rebuke to, to not meet with him and try, and try and identify with him prior to the meeting. And, uh, you know, he could have been upset, uh, Jesus, uh, that Thomas wasn't there. But in all of that, if, if a rebuke is true, maybe it is. I believe it was Jesus demonstrating his love and compassion to one that maybe was a little bit harder to convince. 
Thomas. And when he comes to him, uh, we, we see him saying in verse 27, or verse, the end of verse 26, peace to you. It says in verse 26, after eight days, his disciples again inside and Thomas with them, Jesus came, the doors being shut, and stood in the midst and said, peace to you. Probably directed right at Thomas because the others had already heard that. They already knew that, that uh, God uh, gave them the peace that they needed. So uh, it could have been a rebuke, but please note here that, that uh, Thomas had said, I'm not going to believe unless I do all these things. You know, there's not one word, unbelieving word, that goes out of our lips that the Lord doesn't know about. He knows about everything we say and think and do. He quoted Thomas's statement basically word for word when he said in verse 27, he said to Thomas, reach your finger here and look at my hands and reach your hand here and put it into my side. He was, he was saying everything that Thomas wanted to uh, see and investigate about the Lord, Jesus says, come and do it. Come and do it. We don't, there's nothing that, that we could say that might take away God's knowledge of who we are as his children. Jesus wants us to invite or investigate everything about him. There's nothing hidden uh, that he hasn't revealed to us. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes unto the Father but my, by me. He is the truth. He's the complete truth, and he has nothing to hide. We can investigate him, and that's what he invited Thomas to do. So Christ's call to engage his faith. Christ says, come and do it. Come and feel the uh, handprints and, and nail prints and all of those things. He, then he says, do not be unbelieving, but believing. He says, don't be faithless, but be uh, believing. When you're faithless, you're Christless. When you're faithless, you're graceless. And when you're faithless, you're hopeless. And when you're faithless, you're joyless. Mark, Mark 9, 24 is a, a, a short little story about a, a young boy that that uh, couldn't speak or hear, and Jesus healed him. And the father just came out and said, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. Help my unbelief. We go through doubts and fears in our lives. Lord, help our unbelief. We see Thomas's faith as it takes on a different look here. And uh, verse 28, Thomas answered and said to him, my Lord and my God. When we see Thomas uh, answering him that way, he's seeing. It doesn't say that he had to put his fingers in his palm prints or in his uh, side or anything. He says that he sees um, and I believe. When Thomas seeing uh, these, he says, my Lord and my God. Are you getting excited about this at this point? 
what Thomas is going through. He's saying, I believe my Lord and my God. Some of you today may not be able to say that because you don't, you've never had an encounter with the Lord today. Maybe you need to do that. All right, as we move on, um, Thomas is now fully satisfied of the truth of Christ's resurrection. And I want us to remember this. Sometime we may have been slow to respond to the gospel call. Maybe you're here and you are yet waiting for one more piece of evidence to acknowledge the Savior, Jesus Christ, in your life. What else could Jesus do but to reveal himself in the very presence of those disciples. You know, if, if you're waiting for one more piece of evidence, you don't have to do that. He says, my word is truth. He says, I am the way, the truth. We have all these eyewitnesses accounts of the resurrection that, that we're reading about even today. And if, if you don't believe that doesn't make it any less true, right? Jesus Christ rose from the dead whether you want to believe it or not. He's alive whether you want to believe it or not and whether you put your saving faith in him uh, or not. A couple things here and we'll wrap up. We must believe in his deity. Not man to be God, but God became man. 1 Corinthians 8.6 says... Yet for us there is one God, the Father of whom all uh, are all things, and we for him, and one Lord Jesus Christ, through whom are all things, and through him we live. Through him, Jesus Christ, we live. Thomas's declaration is that Jesus says, my Lord, or, uh, he says to Jesus, my Lord and my God, personal. It was a personal faith. That's a faith of belief, a faith of, of trust in that finished work, his resurrection. And that's the true gospel, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. The next thing we see is he made a profession in front of his uh, friends that he had denied uh, the Savior. He made that profession of faith. He believed. And uh, as I said, you know, then Jesus at the end there in verse uh, twenty. Uh, 7 says, or I'm sorry, verse 28, and Jesus and Thomas answered and said to him, My Lord and my God. And Jesus said to him, Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. It's important for us to understand that even though uh, Thomas maybe took a little while longer, the Lord had patience. He's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And, and Thomas, whether he was uh, previously saved, he was a, a disciple uh, for several years, right? And so he perhaps followed and had faith, but his faith was weak. And so he needed to encourage him. And that's what Jesus did. So whether, uh, whether you need eyewitness account, don't count on that. We have the word of truth, the Bible, to reveal to us the truth. And the Holy Spirit is there to guide us into all truth. And he'll guide you even as an unbeliever. He'll convict your heart to know that you need a Savior. He might be telling you in that still small voice even right now that you need a Savior. So the encounter of a future kind. 
he assures this that uh, many other things were occur occurred in verses 30 and uh, 31. All of them worthy to be recorded in the book. More evidence of Jesus and his appearing to the others. Uh, it says, verse 30, And truly Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. A lot of things that he may have done uh, over the course of those 40 days to prove his existence, and prove his resurrection and all those things. But we have the scripture now. He says in verse 31, But these are written, these things that, I, that are here uh, are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. The word of God is, is written for our uh, edification, for our salvation, and for us to live day by day. The word of God is so important that we um, should not set it aside and miss an encounter uh, with it. If you're waiting for more proof, then you're overlooking the saving faith of Jesus Christ. He says, for by grace you've been saved through faith, that not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. So he says, everything is written here for our edification. In 1 John 5.11, and I'll, I'll close. And this is the testimony that God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Jesus Christ. Maybe you're here today and you have never put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. Today, you may encounter the Lord today through His Word. It's not my words, it's His Word. The reading of the Word. Maybe you're looking for one more piece of evidence. I'm telling you, the risen Savior is described in this book. We know all about Him. Maybe you've never encountered Jesus in a way that, that changed your life. He, you want him, and maybe you accept him as your Lord, uh, maybe as your Savior, but you've never trusted him fully as your Lord. Maybe you're having some doubts. Thomas had some doubts. Call him Doubting Thomas. Maybe you just need to resolve those doubts because of the, the word that's been given forth. Or maybe you're a believer and you need to be drawn closer to Him. You need to have a new encounter. Maybe you're not looking for those encounters on an everyday basis, or even an every first day of the week basis. I pray that this morning, you all and I might encounter the Lord as He's here to meet us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning. People from different places, different aspects of life, different problems, different joys, different sorrows, different needs. We know you're here to meet every single one in a precise way for each individual. Today, as we sing a song of invitation, I pray that each one that's here this morning might have their need met in Christ, whether it be for salvation to have an encounter, a saving encounter with the Savior, or to be drawn closer to you. That's the purpose of today. May we give you the praise for what you're going to do in each of our lives. And we thank you in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.
would you stand with us as we sing our invitation? As the ushers come forward and uh, collect the offering this morning, I want to just reiterate what you heard at the end of Pastor Roger's message, and that is, these are written, John 20, 31, these are written, that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. The music has ended, the service is going to be over in about 30 seconds, but the invitation is still open. So if you need to make a decision for Christ, we urge you to do that. 
as soon as possible. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the risen Christ. It's why we've assembled here today. It's why we have Cross Point Baptist Church. You love this church so much that you died for us. And tonight, we're going to proclaim that throughout the day. And tonight, we're going to proclaim the risen Savior. Help us to do that in everything that we do, Lord. As we collect this offering, I pray that it will go forth to spread the gospel, the good news that Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. We thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Very quickly, uh, we, we have several things to announce. First, again, is that we have a LifePoint Bible study uh, groups tonight at 6.30. The second announcement is that the ladies' birthday luncheon will be on Wednesday, October 23rd at 1 o'clock. Um, that's at Golden Corral and Eastgate. If you have questions about that, see Opal Stevens. The third announcement is that we have our, our family night on Wednesday at 6.30. We'll have grief share on Thursday at 7 o'clock. And then also, very important, we have our costume, our adult costume party on Saturday, October the 26th. It'll be at 6 o'clock. Uh, we're asking that you bring a side dish or dessert and a two-liter of pop. It's important that you sign up so that we have a, a full list of who's going to attend. So be sure to sign up if you haven't already done so out at the Welcome Center. If you have questions about the, the costume party, be sure to ask either Pastor Roger or Miss Betty. With that, you are dismissed.